0: Well, we started looking at this particular one um, last week, and I want to kind of just finish up on that. I didn't really kind of, we kind of, I think opened up a lot of the issue, uh, but really didn't get much to the solution. Kind of talked about the problem of the parable, really didn't quite get to the answer. Uh, So I wanna do that today. And we're kind of continuing in a series of messages we've been doing uh, this summer just on God's favorite stories and just talking about uh, those parables that Jesus told because a lot of times those are stories uh, that we uh, enjoy reading and studying and and hearing about. And so today we're gonna just kind of finish up looking at that parable of the talents as Jesus uh, shared there, and Matthew records that in uh, Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open up there. And in case you weren't here last night, let me just kind of really briefly and quickly uh, recap. In this particular parable that Jesus is uh, telling here, he is addressing and he is speaking to a very specific question that the disciples ask him at the beginning of chapter 24. Now this parable takes place in chapter 25, halfway through there, but it is a response to a question that is asked at the very, very beginning of chapter 24 and there in verse one it says Jesus left the temple and as he's walking away his disciples come up to him, they call his attention to its buildings. And Jesus looks at them and he says, do you see all of these things? He said, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left upon another. Every one will be thrown down. And then a little later as Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples come to him privately as they often do with a lot of the parables, a lot of the things that Jesus says. They don't quite get the imagery. They don't get maybe the, uh, what the illustrations are. They don't quite get the application. So they would seek Jesus out privately and kind of ask for a more detailed explanation. So they go to Jesus and they said, tell us, when will this happen? And they said, what will be the signs, the indicators of your coming? What will be signs or indicators of the end of this age or this, at the end of this dispensation? And that question that they posed to Jesus there in chapter 24, uh, verse uh, 3, uh, Jesus' response beginning in verse 4 and it goes all the way through chapter 24, all the way through chapter 25, and in the midst of this very lengthy response, you find the parable of the talents, and it is in part a response to signs of his coming to the end of the age. Now, the other aspect which makes this interesting, we talked about this, again, is that division between chapters 24 and 25. And as I said last week, chapter 24 kind of seems to focus on these physical signs and indicators that would take place upon the earth in the physical realm, and how those would serve as kind of a constant reminder, sometimes just a wake-up call of uh, Jesus' impending return, the end of the age, or dispensation. And there in chapter 24, Jesus kind of, he describes signs and he says it'll be like you know, when people are falsely uh, claiming to be the Christ in verse five. Wars, rumors of war, verse six. Famines, earthquakes in verse seven. Tribulation, persecution, verse nine false prophets in verse 11. And again, some of these signs, indicators are repeated uh, throughout chapter 24. And all of those signs, Jesus said, when they occur in the, on the earth, he said, those are going to be reminders. They're going to be signs, indicators of my impending return and the end of this particular dispensation that we're in. Then in chapter 25, in verse 1, he says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like or will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now again, that word then, we talked about this last week, can really be interpreted to mean at the same time. So he says when all of these things are happening in in, in, uh, chapter 24, all of these signs, he says then at the same time in the midst of all of this happening here the kingdom of God is going to be functioning over here and it's going to be comparable it's going to be like ten virgins and then he kind of launches into the parable of the ten virgins so he says there's going to be additional signs and indicators from the realm of the kingdom of heaven that are going to be happening upon the earth he said there's going to be this set of signs on the earth uh, there's going to be these signs in the kingdom of heaven and both of them are going to be happening together in tandem at the same time so Jesus says while there are wars and rumors of war happening on the earth at the same time in tandem the kingdom of heaven will be manifesting upon the earth and it's gonna be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom who is Jesus He says, while there are famines and earthquakes occurring upon the earth, at the same time, in tandem with that, the kingdom of heaven is gonna be operating and manifesting upon the earth and it's gonna be like, it's gonna be comparable to a man who goes on a journey, who calls his own servants and entrusted possessions to them and then Jesus tells them the the parable of the talents which we've been looking at in detail. Now the encouraging part of this to me is while there are some horrible, horrific events occurring upon the earth at the same time, in tandem with those, there are gonna be some incredible, awesome, powerful, mighty, miraculous moves of God occurring upon the earth at the same time time, in the midst of great devastation, Jesus is reminding the disciples, reminding the church, at the same time, look for it. The kingdom of heaven is gonna be manifesting and operating upon the earth in incredible, amazing, and awesome ways, and what's so amazing about that And what we're gonna see today is that it's the church, the body of Christ. It is one of the main ways the kingdom of heaven is gonna be ushered in, unleashed, operating and manifesting upon the earth. Remember back in uh, Exodus, the book of Exodus, Old Testament, as the 10 plagues are being unleashed upon Egypt. There in the nation of Egypt, You have the nation of Israel enslaved, Hebrew slaves. And Moses has been sent by God to go and to free his people. And there within the nation of Egypt was Goshen, a city called Goshen. It was where the enslaved Israelites lived when they weren't working for the Egyptians. This is the place where God's chosen people dwelled. So as Moses pleads with Pharaoh to let God's people go, and each time that Pharaoh refuses, God would send a plague upon the earth, upon the nation of Egypt, in hopes of changing Pharaoh's resolve. I want you to notice, even though it's Old Testament, there was a dynamic operating there in Egypt, because I think it's similar to what Jesus is describing there in Matthew 24 and 25. Look at the seventh plague hail. Exodus 9, beginning in verse 23. And it says, Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire rained down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continuously in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. This had never been seen before. And the hail struck all that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, God's people, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Something is manifesting over here and something is manifesting over here at the same time together in tandem. Look at the ninth plague, darkness. Exodus 10 beginning in verse 21, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Even a darkness which can be felt. You ever had darkness that you can feel? I mean, that is, that is different than darkness that we have like at night. I mean, if you've ever been in a cave and, and they turn out all the lights, that is darkness you can feel. And that's what he's talking about here. He said that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Days. But there was a light in Goshen, and the sons of Israel had lights in their dwellings. Darkness over here, God manifesting over here, in tandem at this. this is what Jesus is talking about. You have that same dynamic happening there in the book of Exodus as what Jesus seems to be trying to convey to his disciples there in Matthew chapter 24 and in 25. Hail, fire, thunder throughout Egypt. At the same time, God is doing a separate, miraculous, glorious, mighty work among his people. Thick darkness. Darkness that could be felt. Darkness that immobilized people. They could do nothing. They could go nowhere. It brought the entire nation of Israel to a grinding halt. And those very same three days, the kingdom of God is manifesting in Goshen in light. The tenth plague brings forth death to all of the firstborn. At the very same time, the kingdom of heaven is manifesting As that angel of death moves across the nation of Israel. Remember, God manifests and he institutes the Passover meal. Whereby the blood of the lamb, as it is applied to the doorpost, that God would pass over. The angel of death would pass over and preserve and deliver the people. Destructive, horrific events unfolding upon the earth, while at the same time the kingdom of heaven was also manifesting and operating upon the earth. God doing a separate, awesome, glorious work among his people. This is what I believe Jesus is trying to portray. This is what he is trying to communicate to his disciples, to us, the church, his body. He's saying, while there are catastrophic events unfolding upon the earth, do not despair, do not be afraid, because at the same time, in tandem, the kingdom of heaven will also be operating, will also be manifesting upon the earth. And he says, all of these are going to be indicators, reminders, signs of my impending second return that the current age is going to come to a close. Now again, our human nature is we tend to focus and obsess and give a lot of attention to the negative signs and we miss the positive or the opportunities. We read this and when these signs unfold upon the earth, we need to remember and acknowledge while all of this is happening, what is God gonna be doing over here? We don't wanna miss that. As a matter of fact, we're gonna be called to be a part of that. God is gonna be doing a separate work, bringing forth, unleashing, manifesting the kingdom of God upon the earth. And God's gonna be moving in power and in blessing. We don't wanna miss that. We don't wanna lose sight of that. So I believe Jesus is telling his disciples and us, when the famine, earthquake occurring, at the same time, we need to know God is gonna be moving He's gonna be unleashing a glorious work upon the earth through his people, through his body, through his church, while wars and rumors of war are raging. At the same time, the kingdom of God is gonna be manifesting in blessings, in power, and in glory. And he says then in chapter 25, beginning in verse one, he says, I'm gonna begin to describe to you, I'm gonna give you some analogies of how that kingdom of God is gonna be operating, manifesting, how God is gonna be moving amongst his people. The very first parable that he tells him isn't isn't a parable by mistake. And he talks about how the kingdom of God is gonna operate like 10 virgins who take their lamps and go out to meet the bridegrooms. And again, this is no accident, it's no coincidence that Jesus begins with this parable. I'm not going to go into great detail, but the basic premise is five of the ten virgins have sufficient oil. Five do not have enough oil. The five who have enough oil endure until the coming of the bridegroom at midnight, whereas the other five are caught off guard. They're unable to find oil. And in the parable, they miss the coming of the bridegroom. They miss the wedding feast. They're locked out unable to attend. Again, the virgins represent Christians. The bridegroom represents Jesus. The midnight hour is a second coming. Now many biblical scholars, commentators believe the oil in this parable represents the person, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what, in order for you and I to endure when all of these physical signs are raging and manifesting upon the earth, you are going to need the power, the person, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life in order for me and you to endure, in order for us to be found faithful up until the coming of Jesus Christ, it's gonna require us to have the indwelling person and power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, he asked this rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He said, do you not know? How did this escape your attention? Do you not understand? You are a temple of God. Your physical body, it is a temple of God. Paul says, don't you know that? How how did that escape your attention? And that the spirit of God dwells in you. Do you not know that, Paul says? He says, you know that, 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 that you're a temple of God, right? You know that the Spirit of God dwells in you, don't you? He's stating a fact in the form of a question. It's like saying, do you not know you're sitting in a church right now? I mean, how much more blatantly obvious do you need to know you're sitting in a church right now? Paul says it's the same thing, it should be just as obvious. You're a temple of God. You're a place where the Spirit of God dwells. Your body is a temple. So he's telling his disciples, he's telling us one of the ways kingdom of God will be operating and manifesting upon the earth is through the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people. And this is why Jesus ascends back to the right hand of the Father, following his resurrection from the dead. He said, unless I do that, the Holy Spirit will not come. But he said, when when I send the Spirit, he is going to empower you and enable you to do greater works than I do He said, because I go to the Father. We talked about that last week. Part of what makes that greater isn't that we're going to do greater things than Jesus did. We're just going to do them greater in terms of quantity. We're going to do more of what Jesus did Because there's more of us filled with the Holy Spirit than just one person, Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit. He says, man, when we begin to multiply this across the face of the earth, he said greater things are going to happen in quantity. Because there's more of us now walking and living and manifesting the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So he says, let me give you another picture, okay? Okay. You got the oil, you got the Holy Spirit. What's next? He said, okay, I'm gonna tell you." So the kingdom of God is gonna operate upon the earth. And he says it's gonna be just like a man who is about to go on a journey. And as Jesus is speaking this to his disciples, this parable, he's about to go on a journey. He's gonna to go to the cross, he's gonna die, he's gonna be resurrected, he's gonna ascend, go back to his father. That's the journey he's referring to. And he says, but before I go, I'm going to bring together my servants. And I'm going to entrust, I'm going to give gifts to them. We are the slaves. We're the servants that he's referring to there. We're the ones that he's going to entrust the possessions to. And he says, we're going to just be empowered. And we're just going to begin to walk in the fullness, the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did. And we're going to do what Jesus did, but we're just gonna do it in greater numbers. So he says, uh, in, in uh, verse 15, he says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. He went on his journey. Immediately the one who had five went and traded them, gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had received the two gained two more, but the one who received the one talent went away, dug it in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, again, this is the second coming of Jesus. Jesus comes back. The master of the slaves comes. He settles accounts with them. We talked about this. This is the judgment. So the one who had received five talents came up, brought five more, saying, Master, you entrusted five to me. See, I've gained five more. Master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You who were faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had also received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted with me with two talents. I've taken those, gained two more. As master said, well done, good and faithful slave. You're faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who'd received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid, went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Master said to him, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I did not sow, gather where I scattered no seed. He said, then at the least, the very least, you could have put my money in the bank, and upon my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him, give it to the one who has no, or ten talents. For everyone who has, more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. You want to get an abundance in this, in this life? Use what you have. Leverage what you have for the kingdom of God. And Jesus makes it very, very clear. You're going to get more, and you'll have an abundance. For everyone who has, more shall be given. He'll have an abundance, but the one who does not have even what he does have shall be taken away, cast as a worthless slave. Out into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now again, as I said last week, we hear that word talent, and immediately we kind of begin to think about people's abilities, their skills, aptitudes. and, And although that's how we understand the word talent today, that's not what Jesus meant by the word. In biblical days, a talent was a unit of measurement. So even in the the parable uh, that they're using here, they're using money um, as the uh, example. What they really are are pointing to and illustrating above and beyond the money is God-given abilities and divine opportunities to do something monumental and substantial in unleashing and ushering in the kingdom of God upon the earth. So again, every believer, every Christian, has received all the Holy Spirit. And in addition to that, every believer has also been given a measure of resources, gifts, abilities, and skills that God wants to use. And God wants to enable you to take those gifts and to begin to employ them in ushering in and bringing forth the kingdom of God upon this earth. And again, every believer has received something. There's nobody in the parable. There is not a fourth person in the parable that received nothing. Everybody received something. And again, even though they got differing amounts, we talked about this last week, it wasn't what they got. That they were rewarded for it was how they used what they received is how they were rewarded in other words it's not what you have how much you've been given that matters most to god it's how faithful how diligent how have you been using what god has given to you that matters to him and again every one of you here this morning if you are a believer you have been entrusted by god with a measurement a measure of resources, skills, and abilities. Some of you 10, some of you five, some of you one, but all of you, something. Again, it's not the number that's important to God, but rather how are you using the measure that you've been entrusted with? Now some of those talents Jesus is referring to there, this is where I kinda wanna pick up fresh today, are described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We call them spiritual gifts. The apostle Paul begins at verse one saying, now concerning or speaking to spiritual gifts, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. Some of your translations, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. Now the reason for this, again, is found in the parable of what happened to the third servant in the parable that Jesus tells there in Matthew 25. Because what he had that was not used was taken from him and given to someone else. So Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware of what's gonna happen. There's a consequence if you're not using what you've been entrusted with. So he says in verse four, he goes on to describe the spiritual gifts, he said, now there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, don't miss that. There are a variety of ministries. We see those every Sunday. Look around you. There are a variety of ministries happening in the church. But the same Lord. There are a variety of effects. Look around you. There's a variety of effects happening in the church. But the same God who works all things in all persons. Again, nobody is left out of this, but to each one, everybody is included in this, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. You have been given the manifestation of the Spirit in a variety of ways, a variety of ministries, a variety of effects. And the parable of the talent says, How are you utilizing that in bringing the kingdom of God upon the earth? And he says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Back to the first parable Jesus told about the ten virgins. That's why it was the first one, because you got to start there for the common good. You wanna see the common good happen upon the earth? Start manifesting the resources of the Holy Spirit that you've been entrusted with. Start operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been downloaded, that have been put in you. Or do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I'll say I think that's probably the number one disabler for a lot of Christians yeah I I see the Spirit of God in you but me who am I I'm nothing I'm no one and we become like that third servant who am I just one I don't compare to that guy with 10 I don't compare to that gal with five I'm just one So I'm not as important, so I'm just going to go and bury mine. Do you not know? The Spirit of God dwells in you for the common good. For to one who's given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Again, notice, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the spiritual gifts go hand in hand. I'll tell you this morning, you cannot, 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 cannot have the spiritual gifts operating in your life in a way that will manifest the kingdom of God upon the earth for the common good without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You can't. If you try it, it's just going to be a work of the flesh, and it will eventually burn out. For spiritual gifts to operate the way God desires them, to operate upon the earth, to usher in the kingdom of God, we must have the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And Paul continues in verse nine, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to one the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And then Paul recognizes in verse 28, some additional gifting. She says, "God is appointed in the church: first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then healings, uh, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues." Now, let me just pull all this together. Remember the disciples' question that they asked Jesus there—that kind of started this whole ball rolling. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus is saying, okay, here's how you can, here's what's going to be happening. He said, there's going to be false prophets upon the earth. They're going to be deceiving many. They're going to be leading many astray. We've all seen this. Uh, we've seen it in the past, there are people doing that today, there are going to be people doing that in the future, we're going to see this, we're going to hear this again and again and again until Jesus returns. However. Jesus says while all of this is happening over here that people are being deceived and led astray by false Christ, he says alongside of at the same time, there's going to be this glorious manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. And there are going to be people in the body of Christ flowing with a measure, a fullness of the Holy Spirit. And they are going to begin expressing the mind, the will, the purpose The person of God through apostles, through prophets, ungodly, false prophets leading people astray away from the knowledge of the one true God and on the other side anointed, spirit-filled prophets and apostles who are revealing and manifesting the manifold knowledge of the one true God, leading people to redemption, restoration and salvation with their heavenly Father. Both of these happening upon the earth at the same time in tandem. This one through the body. Through this, or do you not know the Spirit of God dwells in you? Oh, I see it in other people. No. Do you not know the Spirit of God dwells in you? Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us This is how the world is gonna operate. This is how it's gonna function. From the time of my ascension until I come back again, here's how it's all going to unfold. So you're going to have world events like famine and earthquakes at the same time the kingdom of heaven is going to be manifesting in God's people who are experiencing God's will, expressing God's will through talents, resources, skills, and abilities that have been entrusted to them by their heavenly Father. So earthquakes and famines are going to manifest in destruction, hunger, sickness, and disease, hopelessness, and alongside of that, here comes the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, anointed spirit-filled, they're going to manifest the kingdom of heaven upon the earth at the same time alongside of in tandem with all of that in healings, miracles, words of wisdom. Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's speaking to the church today to understand how God wants to use his church, his people, in manifesting the kingdom of heaven upon this earth in this current age, and it's going to continue this way until God sends his son to take his bride. The parable of the talents is a reminder that every one of us who are believers have a role. You have been entrusted with gifts, spiritual gifts, and we are empowered. We are expected We are enabled to usher them, to bring them upon the earth and the blessings and the goodness that will come from that will counter all of the evil and suffering that occurs throughout our world. In many ways, the body of Christ, the church, is God's response. It's God's solution to much of the suffering and the injustice in the world. So much of what is happening in the world today is because the church has been asleep. And God is awakening his body. I think this is part of what this 71414 14 is all about. And This isn't just the state of Iowa, as Jim said. There are governors across this Nation and I'll tell you what folks they're seeing things. They're hearing things we know nothing about I Will suggest to you there are some things about to be unleashed upon this world That are going to be like in the days of Egypt. We've never seen anything like this before and We can give in to fear or we can take our place as the spirit-filled body of Christ, called, empowered, and gifted to manifest the kingdom of heaven upon the earth at the same time all that other stuff is happening. I'll never, ever forget 9-11. I was serving as a pastor in the Methodist Church, and the community I was a part of decided to do a community-wide event, and all of the churches came together together And we were just going to do a service, and and it had been broadcasted. It had been, you know, just put out there. And I just remember all the churches coming together. But in order for all of the churches to come together, we needed to water everything down so that everybody who participated felt comfortable participating. And uh, for whatever reason, I mean, obvious reasons, I was not asked to be a part of that. I... I'm not kidding you, I, I mean, it, it, was, it was one of the most heartbreaking things because that auditorium was packed. You could not get any, people standing along the walls. People who had maybe never ever, or maybe in a long time, had never ever responded to any kind of an event like that. Halfway through that event, I was kind of sitting in the back and people started leaving in droves. Halfway through the event, it was so dry. It was so irrelevant. It was was not speaking to anyone. And people began to feel the church had nothing to say. The church had nothing to offer. And I thought of all places I could go to find hope in the midst of all of this. This was where people came and they walked out just as empty, if not more empty. When they, My heart broke. This was an opportunity for the church to shine, to manifest the kingdom of God upon this earth in the midst of all that was happening. This was a time for the spirit of God to manifest in spiritual gifts, to begin to give words of wisdom, to begin to flow and to move in the prophetic. You know what the prophetic is? Here's why we're scared to death of the prophetic, because you know what the prophetic is? Sounds like to a lot of us, Nathan going to David and exposing his sin, his deepest, darkest secrets. We look at that and say, that's the prophetic. I don't want anything to do with that. That is not. That that may be prophetic in some ways, but I'll guarantee you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3, he talks about the prophetic manifesting in exhortation, edification, and comfort. That's what people were looking for that day in that church. They were looking for edification, exhortation, comfort. What a time for the prophetic to move. There are times where you know, the prophetic may move in exposing some things. But the thing you've got to remember is it was Nathan and David one-on-one. The prophetic may move in that way when it's one-on-one. I'll tell you what, we operate in the prophetic here. But a lot of times, we're not up here exposing people. We're not up here calling people out, exposing their deepest, darkest sins. I would never permit that. I've always said to people who are looking for that in this church, and they've come to me and said, you guys don't operate in the prophetic. I said, oh really? What is the prophetic to you? Well, it's where you're, you know, you're calling people out that are you know, committing sins and stuff like that. I said, that is not the prophetic. Now, if you believe that is the prophetic, how about you go first? We'll, we'll expose all of your deep, dirty, dark secrets. All of a sudden, they're not interested in flowing in the prophetic. That's not the prophetic. Paul says the prophetic is exhortation, edification, comfort. Imagine That being manifested upon the earth when all this other stuff is going. Imagine when there's chaos, when there's sickness and disease. Imagine a body, the body of Christ, coming in the midst of that with gifts of healing, of miracles. Wouldn't that be cool? I want to be a part of that. We've been enabled and we've been empowered to be a part of that. Or do you not know? The Spirit of God dwells in you. I'm out of time. Let me just close it this way. Here's how I understand the Holy Spirit. Very, very, very simply. When you got saved, you got filled with the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, that it, it seals you under the day of redemption. So you're saved, you're saved, the Holy Spirit seals that. It is a guarantee. I know that I know that I know I'm saved. I can't prove that to you, but it's my spirit that testifies with his spirit. I am born again. So I get the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit in me. My understanding of the best way I can describe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when I am not just filled with the Holy Spirit, but now I am, it's just running through me like a river. It's not just flowed in, now all of a sudden it's flowing out in gifts, in healings, in wisdom, in prophetic, in wonders, in miracles. That's what that is. Every one of you have been given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, all I'm asking is, have you asked God to release that river of His Spirit in you? If you haven't, all you got to do is ask. Just say, "I, I, I got it. I just want to let it rip. I want to let it loose." I want to walk, I want to flow, I want to begin to manifest these things so that the kingdom of God can be ushered in upon the earth. That's the simplest way I can understand. I was always confused by that. Marilyn gave me a book one day by a, a guy named John Shirell, and there was just a, 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 a part of that book, there were, most of the book I'd already heard, understood that, read that, knew that, there was a part in there where he just kind of explained that whole concept of getting the Holy Spirit when you're saved and then releasing the Holy Spirit through the baptism. And I was like, I get it now. So uh, here's here's where we're going to close this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not born again, you can get born again. We'll pray for you. You can receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not only do you get eternal life, but you get the spirit of God, and it seals you under the day of redemption. It keeps you. If you're saved, it'll keep you saved until Jesus returns. If you wanna operate in your gifting, what you gotta do is just say, okay, Lord, I know that the spirit of God dwells in me, and I'm ready for that to flow like a mighty raging river through me. I want that to manifest in the giftings that you give. I'm, I'm, I'm operating in my giftedness. I have one. That's it. And I feel like I'm doing a lot of damage to the, to the kingdom of darkness with that one. Again, it's not the number, it's how effective am I being with the one? See, some of you are sitting here, you've, got, you've been given 10. Five, you don't know what they are. You don't know how to you don't know how to utilize them. You know what God wants to do? He wants to just set your spirit. He wants to just let that puppy flow. Let that river flow out of you. It's in you, it's waiting to be released. So that's what I want to do this morning. If you're here this morning and you know you got the spirit of God. And you're ready for that thing to be unleashed, that, that person, that power, that presence of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You know that, don't you? That's what Paul said. Do you not know the Spirit of Christ, that ra- the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you? That is that power, presence of the Holy Spirit that's just waiting to be unleashed. And in that unleashing, you're going to go out and you're going to begin to do things to manifest the kingdom of God upon this earth. Are you ready to do that? So the Bible just simply says, all we're going to do is we're just going to, we're going to pray, we're going to lay hands on you, that's what the Bible says, we're going to lay hands on you this morning, we're just going to ask for God to unleash that river of the power, the presence of his Holy Spirit, and then we're just going to ask God to stir up the gifts within you. I don't know what they are, but God will show you what those are. See, some of you already have an inkling because you have passions, you have desires, you have drawings towards certain things. That, that's kind of a hint of, of, of how God wants to use you. So this morning, that's, that's what we want to do. I'm not going to make a big show out of this. I think everything needs to be done decently and in order this morning. And I would just say to you, if you're ready, if you're ready to be used of God, if you're ready to make a difference upon this earth, if you're ready to make a difference in this community, if you're, if you're ready for the kingdom of God to be unleashed through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, if you're ready to do that this morning, we want to pray for you. We're just, going to, we're just going to lay hands on you this morning. We're just going to pray that Holy Spirit would just be unleashed. That that river that is in you would just begin to flow out of you. And as that flows out, God's just going to continue to fill you. And there's just going to be this continual outflow of the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, what's going to be manifesting is the kingdom of God. So if that's what you want this morning, we're going to pray for you. We're going to be up here. Marilyn, would you come up? Uh, Jim, would you be here? And I need probably, uh, would you folks, uh, Karen, Doug, would you folks be able to do that? Uh, Dan, Neva, would you guys be willing to do that? Again, you, I, I don't want you to feel, don't, don't feel like you got to, I'm not asking you to manifest anything. I'm just asking you just to pray over people this morning. Lay hands on them and just let her rip. Let the Spirit Be unleashed in this place this morning. Invite the worship team also uh, to come up. So if you're here this morning and and you want that, I mean, you're really ready to be used of God this morning in ways that maybe you never have before this morning. There are going to be people up here, and we're just going to pray over you, pray for you, and we're just going to ask the Spirit of God just to to flow uh, in uh, through you, out of you this morning um, and it's just going to manifest in, in a variety of ways um, this morning. Father, we just ask right now, Father, for the power of the presence of your Holy Spirit to come in this place. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have created each one of us in this place to be a temple of your Spirit. The God, you desire all of us to come to repentance. Desire all of us to come to that knowledge of the truth. That you love us, that you sent your son for us, that he died, his blood was shed for our sins to be cleansed. He rose again on the third day to give to us eternal life. And Father, I just pray right now, Father, that as we receive that by faith, Lord, that your Holy Spirit comes, it seals us under the day of redemption. And Father, that that Holy Spirit That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And Father, we're just asking this morning that you would release that mighty rushing river. Let that river of your Holy Spirit begin to be unleashed and to flow through us this morning. That God, it's going to begin to manifest itself in spiritual gifts, in apostles, prophets, teachers, Father, it's just going to begin to manifest in multiple ways here this morning and that, God, you're going to use that to usher in and to bring forth your kingdom upon this earth. And you're going to use us, you're going to use your church until Jesus comes again. And, Father, we want to be a part of that. So this morning, God, I pray you'll just speak to people's hearts here this morning. And, God, I pray, Lord, that they would not respond to me, but, God, they're going to respond to you. They're going to respond to your spirit this morning. And God, in spite of me, that God, you are going to perform your word over, in, and through them this morning. So Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would just even now begin to draw people's hearts. God begin to give them a desire to seek after the things of God this morning. Give them a desire, God, to be mightily used of you. Father, I come against any fear. I come against any confusion of the enemy. I would come against any spirit that would try to deny, to talk them out of it, God, to minimize them in terms of their gifting, their potential this morning, that, God, you can use all of us from the least to the greatest this morning, God. And so, Lord, I come against any spirit That would try to minimize or to talk anybody out of that this morning, Father. Draw your people and free them, God, to be all that you've created them to be. Free in them, God, all that you've entrusted to them, God. That on that day, we would hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful with a few things, I'll give you more things. Enter into the joy of your master. Father, we want to enter into the joy of our master. Let that begin this morning. We just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.